right, so an overview of the text. The king of Aram and his army are invading the nation of Israel. The king of Aram had a superior military with a superior force. And his plan was to invade Israel and intimidate them and cause them to back up and sort of pigeonhole themselves. And this is always the enemy's plan and scope and aim in sending threats. He sends threats to you hoping you'll back up and you'll lose ground. That's why the scripture says to give no place to the devil because what the devil really wants is he wants the place, the space that you occupy. Uh, the devil is land-oriented, regional-oriented. He likes to set up shop in your space and your place. And so the enemy is pressing into Israel. And the king of Aram, who's a brilliant military strategist, has the idea, I'm going to set up my camp and my outpost in these certain locations. Two reasons for that. One, it would disrupt the supply chain. Uh, Israel wouldn't be able to get the supplies and the, the routes that they normally use to bring supplies in. Number two, if I set up my camp here, it'll let the king of Israel and all of his army see how strong our military force is, and the men will have to march all day knowing that they're outnumbered, because the enemy loves you to worry about being outnumbered. But the problem is, every time he picked an outpost to set up his camp, Israel just went around him. And he, he didn't know what was going on. Every time he tried to disrupt a supply chain, Israel set up a new one and went around him. And he didn't know what was going on. So he, he brings all of his generals in, all of his counsel in. And he, said, he's, he thinks he has a mole in the government. He says, all right, which one of you is giving my battle plans and my strategies to the king of Israel. And one of his advisors speaks up and says, none of us. He said, there's a prophet in Israel that can hear so well prophetically, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. And it just, when I, when I read that, it just amazes me because Elisha was sending a word that was thwarting the threat of the enemy before the enemy ever set up shop to impose the threat. And God still has threat thwarting words that he can speak one word over your life and no matter what threat is trying to set itself up against you, the word will thwart the threat and make it come to nothing. But the, I, I want to focus in a little bit on what the advisor said. He said he can hear so well, he knows what you're saying in your bedchamber, your bedroom. You know what that means. The, the king would, would pace back and forth in his bedroom to come up with these plans to attack Israel. And then he would take those plans that he thought up in his bedroom to his council table and develop the strategy. But that means while the king was still formulating the threat, God was already sending the word that would reverse it and make the threat have no impact. It's a word for somebody.
somebody who came in here threatened, the threat will have no impact on your life in the name of Jesus. And so the king is furious when he finds out that his plans are being foiled by a prophet. So he sends his army, who this prophet has totally outmaneuvered every step of the way, he sends his army to go surround the prophet, and they do. And the next morning, the prophet's servant gets up early, goes outside, sees that they're surrounded, freaks out, goes and wakes the prophet up and says, what are we going to do? The prophet goes outside, calmly tells him not to fear, and then prays a prayer, not about the enemy. He prays a prayer about the vision, about the mindset, and about the perspective of his servant. And when God opens his eyes, he sees that there were angels and chariots of fire that far outnumbered the threat that was surrounding them. That's the overview. Let's get into the weeds a little bit with it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for a little introduction. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds. I know, I know you may be a little tired today. We had a long week, but read this with me. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. All right, that's, that's all I want. For those who live according to the flesh, when it says according to the flesh, that means just focused on this natural life, just focused on this natural world, just focused on what's going on with what you can sense, what you can feel. Those that live that way set their minds on only natural things, on only fleshly, physical things. Uh, can you put that back up there, please? But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Next verse, verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Well, carnally there, it just means fleshly. Okay. For to be carnally minded or only focused on this natural world, what you can sense, what you can feel. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So to set your mind outside of just this natural world, the things that you can experience in your natural body, in your natural life, and to set your mind higher on spiritual things takes you out of the realm of death, things that are decaying, things that are destroying, and sets you in a position of life and peace. The enemy brings attacks and threats with the purpose of stressing your mind out because you have a choice. You can either be carnally minded, living according to the flesh only, or you can be spiritually minded. And the enemy hopes by threatening you, he will jar you to the point that after all you've learned about God and all you've experienced about God and as much uh, history as you have with spirituality and spiritual things, that you'll still choose to walk around and be carnally 
minded. But to be carnally minded is death. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look at verse 7. Romans 8 verse 7. Because the carnal mind. Now this is interesting for you to know. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The word enmity means constant war. So this natural mind that we have as human beings only focused on things of this natural world puts you at a, in a state of war with God and the things of God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. You just cannot access God with a carnal mind. You cannot access the things of God, the blessings of God, the resources of God, if you have a carnal mind. And while we're talking about minds, there's only three types of them, okay? Only three types of minds. Number one, there's the natural mind. The natural mind is dead spiritually. These are people that have not been saved. The natural mind is dead spiritually, only alive to natural things only deals with the senses. In fact, it is controlled and led by the senses, controlled and led by the appetites. What flesh wants, flesh gets. Anytime, doesn't matter who gets hurt, doesn't matter what's going on, flesh, 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 because that's all the natural mind has to work with is the things of the flesh. Uh, the pe people with a natural mind don't understand what you're doing here on such a beautiful day. First beautiful fall day we get in San Antonio. Some of you, it's your only day off, and yet you chose to get up, get yourself ready, get to the house of God, sit through the service. They don't understand what you're doing. You know how beautiful the golf course must be this morning? What in the world are you doing sitting in church? What do you get out of it? What's the value? They don't, they don't comprehend it. They have no point of reference because... They're only dealing with a natural mind. Then number two, there's the spiritual mind. Spiritual mind is from someone who has been born again and renewed in Christ Jesus. They have spiritual instincts. They're able to be led by the spirit. They feel, sense, and understand things that other people simply cannot. People that have that spiritual mind have a voice on the inside of wisdom speaking to them. People that have that spiritual mind have joy when everything else around them is crumbling and going crazy. People that have that spiritual mind have peace in the middle of the storms of life. People that have that spiritual mind, they are led by the Spirit of God. And then finally, number three, there is the carnal mind. The carnal mind. The carnal mind belongs to someone who they have been saved, but after experiencing salvation, they choose to revert back to the old and other nature. Okay. This is somebody that's experienced Jesus, experienced the Holy Spirit of God, and is walking around a new creature in Christ and, and living with a new nature. But, but what, what the apostle is also careful to tell us is, just because you get a new nature doesn't mean the old one goes away. You have to make the decision every single day. Paul said, I have to die daily and crucify my flesh. Because if not, then I'm walking around with two constant options in my mind, either spiritual or carnal, spiritual or carnal, spiritual or carnal. And it, it, it kind of depends on when you see me, which one I am. Now, it may surprise you to learn the vast majority of Christians are carnal. 
though they have the spirit and have tasted the goodness of God, when conflict, threats, and difficulties come, they have the tendency to revert back to their senses, leaning on their senses, leaning on just what they can understand in the natural. And for those of you that have been exposed to organized religion for any amount of time, when we talk about carnality, you know, your, um, your alarm bells may go off and think you, you, you're just talking about sins of the flesh, but carnality is not limited to sins of the flesh. All you have to do to be carnal is focus more on your problems than you are on the promises of God, and you've slipped into carnality. All you have to do to be carnal is be more aware of what's against you than you are aware of the fact that God is for you. And a great picture of this vacillation and how you can be both a spiritual person and a carnal person at the same time is the story where Peter is walking on the water. In one moment, he's operating with his spiritual mind. He gets a word from Jesus. He says, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out there to you. He gets a word from Jesus. He steps out in faith. All of this he's doing with a spiritual mind. And if you operate in a spiritual mind, you can do impossible things in the natural. He's doing an impossible thing. He's walking on water. But that same man with that spiritual mind while he's walking takes his eyes off Jesus for a moment and looks at a wave that's coming at him. And fear causes you to lose rationality. He, he wasn't able to rationalize, you know what, I shouldn't be standing on water anyway. If he was God enough to hold me up while I'm standing on water, he ought to be God enough to hold me up if that wave over there hits me. But fear and threats causes you to go into a paranoid state and you lose rationale. And so when he gets his eyes off of Jesus and he gets his eye on the wave, he slips into the carnal mind and all of a sudden he sinks. And the enemy is in the business of seducing you to stare at the threats, to stare at the problems, to stare at the bad things that could happen, to stare at them because he's trying to get you to live your life in a carnal state, to rob you of your spiritual availabilities, of your spiritual resources and the activity of God in your life. The devil hates you. You took the devil job. Lucifer was in charge of praise and worship in heaven, but when he was cast out, God gave that assignment to mankind. And the enemy is doing all that he can to rob God of the praise God deserves by keeping you so fearful that when the presence of God, you come in a way depressed, you come in carnal, and you have to go through a whole service before your spiritual mind kicks back in, and by then, the thing is over. The enemy wants you to serve God with a carnal mind, and I'm, and I'm telling you some of this because you, you, you got to be careful. You, you don't realize it, but, but when you argue with people, you're wasting your time. 
And when you try to defend yourself against people, you're wasting your time. Some of you have made idols out of your enemy because your enemy is all you talk about. It's all you think about. You go to bed thinking about the enemy. You go wake up thinking about the enemy. Go through your day thinking about the enemy and all the bad things that can happen. And unknowingly, unwittingly, you've made that enemy an idol. And the carnal mind is enmity against God. You love God, but you can't access him because you're sitting there with a carnal mind. You know God's powerful, but you can't access the power because you're sitting there with a carnal mind. Pastor, help us. What do we do when we notice we have a carnal mind? Understand this. Praise breaks carnality. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Praise breaks carnality. Why? Because when you praise God for that one moment, you're dragging your flesh and bringing it into alignment with your spirit. On your worst day, if you are filled with the spirit of God, on your worst day, your spirit still knows that God is worthy of the praise and that you have been called to praise him. And so when you come into service and, and we start praising the Lord and you don't feel like it, your mind's somewhere else, but, but you follow that spiritual instinct to drag your flesh. I don't feel like clapping, but I'm going to clap anyway. I don't feel like shouting, but I'm going to shout anyway. I don't feel like singing, but I'm going to sing anyway. For that moment, when you do that, you've, you've taken your flesh by the nap of the neck and, and you've drug it into alignment with your spirit. And when you do that, carnality is broken. All of a sudden, faith comes into your spirit and faith comes into the atmosphere. A, a release and a lightning starts to break out around you. Things, things aren't so heavy anymore when you praise. Praise breaks carnality. When you praise, praise takes you into the realm of the spirit. When you praise. Elisha was a spiritual man with a spiritual mind. I know what it is to be a spiritual man with a spiritual mind. I've been one. And I know what it is to be a carnal man with a carnal mind. I've been that too. I've been both. Sometimes in the same year. Sometimes in the same month. Sometimes in the same week. Sometimes in the same day. I, I know what it's like to be standing full of faith at 11 o'clock that God's going to work everything out. And be so worried sick by 2 o'clock I'm about to puke. I, I, I know what it is. And the reality is, that's the fight for all of us. Is maintaining our spirituality and resisting our carnality. In fact, that struggle is what Paul calls the good fight of faith. But 
But in the text, Elisha teaches a master class. A master class on how to hold on to your spirituality when all hell is breaking loose and you're being threatened. Because I tell you what, nothing will make you want to slip back into your old carnal, nasty ways. Like being up under pressure, stress, threats, and attacks. Nothing will make you want to go back to the stuff you said you'd never go back to. Like a good old six or seven weeks of nonstop pressure, threats, and attacks. And so Elisha teaches a master class of how to hold on to your spirituality. How to maintain the spiritual mind and the spiritual perspective. Let's look at a few verses. Verse, verse 15 it says that when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, there was an army with horses and chariots that had surrounded in the city. And he said, oh, no, well, what shall we do? First of all, I want you to consider with me that Elisha is a man that can hear so well prophetically that he has outmaneuvered and intercepted every plot so far this enemy king had. So I have to know that if he knew all of that was coming before it happened, he knew they were coming to surround his house before it happened. <laughs> and it takes a large army, a little bit of time, you know, to get all in position and all set up. So that means this army, they were setting up surrounding his house and his city all night long. And all while they were surrounding him, Elisha was sleeping. Just sleeping because the text said the servant got up early in the morning. The servant got up. Prophet, he's still in the bed. He's sleeping. He's good. You know, all while he's being surrounded, all while they're aiming their arrows and getting their spears ready, just, just in the bed, sleeping. Point number one, don't let the threat take your sleep. The enemy, just, he doesn't just want to kill you. He wants to exhaust you before he kills you. You know, it's not enough for the enemy to kill you. He wants to deplete you, exhaust you, stress you out, take you to the edge, and then leave you there, and then unleash all hell against you. you you've got to learn sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do during a threat is go to sleep. This is a word for somebody. You need to go to sleep. If pacing around the house, rubbing your hands and worrying about it all night ain't going to change it, then you might as well go in there and get you some sleep. Don't let the threat take your sleep. Push your neighbor say, go to bed. Go to bed. Point number two, expect that the same world will produce the same troubles. Have you ever noticed 
that the next problem is always the worst problem you've ever dealt with. You know, it doesn't matter what God's brought you through the last 10 years. Something new, big, bad, and ugly stands up, and all of a sudden, this is the worst thing. How are we going to deal with this? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like you've never been through anything. And, and I think some of the, the disillusionment comes from many of us, maybe we've seen too many movies, I don't know. M many of us have this deep down internal belief and expectation that one day the world's going to change. The world ain't changing. The world's always going to be what the world's always. The world is a giant problem factory that just cranks out problems free to everybody. Everybody gets one, you know? And, and Elisha knows, you know, th this, this is what happens. You get surrounded by problems. The world's going to do what the world does. The enemy's going to do what the enemy does. If the enemy is anything, he's consistent. He comes in, he surrounds you, says, I'm going to kill you, destroy you, take your life, take your marriage, take your finances, take, you, take your health, take you all the way down. It's always the same. The, the problems in our personal lives make it feel new. It's really not new. It's just the same thing. My grandmama would say it's the same song, second verse, you know? It, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And, and there's a strength that comes with losing the expectation that the world's going to change. The world's always going to be the world. Job said, man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. If you're waiting for a time where there won't be any trouble, you won't see it till you get to heaven. So you better go to heaven. Just hope oh, Jesus is the way. Just go to heaven. But, but he knows it's just, it's just the same world. Elisha, I remind you, was Elijah's servant. He had been surrounded before. He remembered when Elijah was surrounded by 450 false prophets of Baal. Okay. And 400 prof false prophets of Ashtaroth. He was surrounded by 850. It was 850 to 2. You know? So Elisha had been in that kind of setting before where he was totally surrounded. And, and so this next thing I want to tell you, it's, it's a little tough, love, but stop acting like you hadn't been here before. What in the H-E double hockey sticks is wrong with you that you act like this problem you have today, sitting here Sunday morning, is the worst, biggest, baddest, grossest, nastiest, most dangerous problem that you've ever faced? You've been through some stuff. I know some of your stories. You've been through some stuff. You've been through too much. God's been too faithful for you to be acting like that there's no way out of this one like this one is somehow special. So he knows, you know, servant, servant gets up early and, and freaks out, comes in, shakes it. Ah, what are we going to do? You know, that's how you always react, isn't it? You know, the threat comes and you just, 
What are we going to do? You know, and he's shaking the man of God. You know, the man of God's tired. He's in bed. What? Come outside. I'll show you what. You know? It's like when I talk to people and I'm taking a faith stance, you know? It's like, what do you expect me to do? Take a doubt stance with you? Pastor, I'm so scared. Everything's going to fall apart. Yeah, me too. I'm worried myself. <laughs> what, do you, what do you want me to say, you know? <laughs> Some of y'all trip me out, man. So, uh, when, I take, when I take a faith stance with somebody, it's like they start arguing with me, telling me, no, you don't get how bad it is. It's worse than you think, you know. And, and they're arguing from the point of the thing that's coming against them. But we do that. We do that. Get out here and let me show you how bad it is. So he comes out, you know. <sighs> Same world, you know, same world. And it's comforting to know all of your life, all of your life, you're going to be living in the same world. But he's the same God. The world never changes. Always going to be the world. God never changes. Always going to be God. So Elisha knows if God was a deliverer, then he is a deliverer. If God was a way maker, he is a way maker. If God was a healer, he is a healer. If God was my defense, he is my defense. Because my world won't ever change. The problems won't ever change. But my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said, I am the Lord. I change not. And so, and so it's... It's just the same world given the same problems. And, and then number three, perceive that help is coming from a higher dimension. <clears throat> you got to hear this preacher. Perceive. You got to perceive that help is coming. It's just that it's coming from a higher dimension. The prophet and his servant go outside and both of them are looking at the same thing from two different perspectives. The servant thinks they're about to die because he's looking at the situation with a carnal mind. And in his carnality, 
his spiritual vision is restricted so that he cannot see the help that's there in a higher dimension. Okay. Now, now I'll remind you of something. It's a spiritual law that you get to receive the anointing that you serve. Okay. If you serve someone who is operating under a particular anointing, you have spiritually legal rights to receive that same anointing. That's spiritual law. So, so let me break this down. This isn't just a servant. This is the servant of the seer, the servant of the prophet of God, the servant of the man of God who's got the mantle for the whole nation, meaning this servant was a recipient of Elisha's anointing. But no matter how gifted or anointed you are, the moment you step into carnality and your mind switches away from spiritual things to carnal things, you've cut off all that you have available to you in the spirit. So Elijah prays to break the carnality. He prays so that his servant will be able to step out of and shake himself out of that carnal mindset and be able to perceive, no, 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 no. There is help. And it's there. It's just in a dimension that you're looking too low to see. And then from verse 17, let's look at the prayer. It's a, it's a simple prayer. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. I want you to notice point number four. Elisha does not pray about the problem. You tracking with me? Point number four, he doesn't pray about the problem. He prays about the perspective. He... He's surrounded on every side, got weapons aimed at him, and doesn't even mention them. Because Elisha knows the real problem in this circumstance is my servant has slipped over into a carnal mind, and he can't see the help that God's already provided in a higher dimension. Maybe you've been praying about the wrong thing. Maybe you've been praying about the problem when what you really need to pray about is God help me see my life in a different way. Help me see that I'm not at a disadvantage. Help me see that I'm not the underdog in this situation. Help me see the resources that are available to me in a higher dimension. Maybe it's not about the enemies at all. Maybe the most dangerous enemy is in a me. 
So he, he prays about, about, the, about the perspective. He says, open his eyes so that he can see that this great threat has already been thwarted. And, you know, in the story, God didn't do nothing. From heaven's perspective, it's a pretty docile account. You know, God didn't strike those enemies with fire down from heaven or have the angels unsheathe their swords and wipe everybody out. God didn't do anything in the story except change the perspective of the servant's vision. And then one last thing in the text that I loved is that um, the, when the servant's eyes were open, the, the angels were already there. It's not like Elisha prayed and God sent the angels. <laughs> Elisha never asked for the help. The help was just present on standby already. And God told me to remind someone in the house this morning. One of his names in the Old Testament is Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord who is present. David said he's a very present help in the time of need. And I want to tell you what Shama said. Shama said that your help is not on the way. Your help is already there. You can't see it because you've been dealing with carnality. You can't see it because you've been worried and stressed out. You can't see it because you're more focused on your enemies than you are your God. But nevertheless, Shama said, I'm still there. God's got surrounded the thing that's got you. And, and they, they, did, they, they didn't do anything. The angels didn't do anything. They were just there. For your comfort, <laughs> just there to let you know you're not by yourself, just there, just there, just, just, just in case one of those jokers threatening you tried to do just, just there. And so the rest of the story reads they they charge Elisha like the servant feared that they would they charge him and while they're running toward him he says um, hmm strike this people with blindness now very interesting the text started with his servant being spiritually blind and it closes with him striking the enemy with natural blindness. <laughs> it was a reversal. <laughs> God said, I'm about to send a reversal to your enemies. I don't know where you are. God said, 
I'm about to send a reversal to your enemies. They're going to go home afflicted with what you were afflicted by. They're going to go home troubled with what you were troubled by. It was a reversal. That's powerful. He says, uh, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And you can follow along in the text if you want. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm out of time. But, but they all are, are stricken with blindness. And... <laughs> Elisha, he walks up to him and says, hey, where are y'all going? They said, we're trying to find that prophet in Dothan. He said, oh, you went the wrong way. Follow me. I'll lead you to it. So Elisha takes their leader, captain by the hand, and all of the army in tow, and he leads them right to the king of Israel. And then Elisha says, open their eyes, Lord. And they look up and they're standing in the middle of Israel's army. And the king looks at Elisha and he is elated. The king's like, you are the best preacher in the world, man. Like, what did I do to deserve? I, man, I do something for you. And, and, and the king says, can I kill him? Can I, can I wipe him out? You know, let me kill him. Can I kill him? And Elisha says, no, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Let them go back to their nation and spread the news to the surrounding nations. What will happen if anybody tries to come take the space, the spot, the place, the blessing that God has given Israel? You know, all their reporting was back in the day was word of mouth. So Elisha sends out, you know, about 3,000 newspapers walking, living, talking newspapers to go spread the rumor to every neighboring nation. Don't come in here because there is a defender in this nation. There's a strong keeper in this nation. And God's going to use some of the threats that are coming against you and allow them to fail so miserably that they advertise to other enemies, that they advertise to other threats. You may get them over there with that, but you can't bring that over here. You'll get destroyed. It'll be reversed on you. It'll get turned around. Everything in your life will turn upside down. If you mess with that one, go find another one to invade. Go find another one to mess with. You mess with that one. That one will mess you Isn't that a cool story? Stand to your feet and give God a praise. <laughs> the threat is thwarted. The threat is thwarted. The 
threat is thwarted. The threat is thwarted. You don't know how strong you are. You haven't seen your own position in the right way. You haven't been looking at your life through the right set of lenses. But the word of the Lord to you this morning is that the threat is thwarted. Put a lot of love in your hand and reach over and touch somebody on the shoulder and just look them in the eye and tell them, the threat is thwarted. Now, you don't know what they're facing. You don't know what kind of stress they've been under. You don't know what they're going through. Tell somebody else. Tell them with faith. The threat is thwarted. The threat is thwarted. The threat is thwarted. The threat is thwarted. No weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, God will condemn. Fear not, for I am with thee. Fear not, for I am with thee. Shama! 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 The great Shama! The mighty Shama! The omnipotent Shama! When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back again. You are the defender of my... Would you sing that little part if you know that say when? You knew where I left you reintroduce me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. Hallelujah, you have saved so much better your way yeah. Hallelujah. great defense. father I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the richness and beauty of your word and the power of your spirit We'll go deep into the hearts of these believers today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the fear and intimidation from the enemy's threats would be wiped away and that they would understand because of faith in Jesus Christ, because of the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, that they have no reason to fear and that every threat of the enemy against them no matter how satanic or demonic, every threat of the enemy against them has been thwarted 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Give God one more praise. Hallelujah. 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 I want to invite you to sow a seed right now into the word that I just preached. Everything that you're giving today and in the next few services are it's going to go towards Bless Fest. We want to make Bless Fest the largest event we've ever done. We want to feed more people than we've ever fed. We want to bless more people than we've ever blessed. And I know many of you gave a couple of weeks ago. Some of you have not given yet. If you haven't given a significant seed toward Bless Fest, many of our church uh, did $300. Many did $150. If you haven't given a significant seed toward Bless Fest, I want to encourage you to get that now. But everybody else, I believe this word was for everybody in the house. And I believe everybody needs to sow a seed. So get you an envelope or get your phone out or get you something. Get a seed in your hand and let's bring an offering to God, our deliverer and God, our savior. And let's bless his kingdom and bless his house. Okay, Father, you see the people, you see their faith, you see their giving. I ask you right now in the name of Jesus to move on their behalf. I ask you to send peace to that storm. I ask you to strengthen them, to undergird them, to protect them. And Father, as they're giving, I ask that you rain on the seed, that you multiply it, that you cause it to come back to them a hundredfold. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. If you have your offering ready, you can come and bring it to the front. God bless you. We love you so much. You are dismissed, and we will see you Wednesday night.